You guys good? I love it. How many of you guys have, how many have I met before? No, I, I don't forget. I don't forget who beats me in ping pong. That's weird. That's really weird. I can remember that. All right, well, I'll play you in ping pong again. All right, who's excited for winter camp? You guys got a whole weekend? You guys pumped? So good. You guys excited for this theme? Yes? Okay, that's a little weak. Okay. We're going to make it exciting. It's going to be a good time. You guys excited for all the activities, cabin time, eating milkshakes? Uh, you guys excited? Who, who eats way too many milkshakes and you end up throwing up? Who's going to be doing that? Yeah. Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like you ate hot sauce last year, didn't you? You did. I'm remembering all these things. All right, well, hey, if you don't know me, I know some of you, uh, if you don't know me. My name is Stevie. I, I am so excited to be here. I have a picture, actually, for you guys, just so you know that I was once your age. Uh, we can throw a picture up. Look at this strapping young buck right here. It's a good-looking guy. It's a good-looking guy. I was, uh, I was in eighth grade. Any eighth graders out here? Any, who's in eighth grade? Okay. All right, seventh grade. Who's in seventh? All right. Sixth graders, where you at? Yes, and the octave changed. It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. That was me. That was me. I love it. Well, hey, um, I also, uh, unfortunately, this weekend, my wife and my kid are not up here with me, but I have a wife. She's beautiful. She's incredible. Uh, her name is Trisha. Um, and then my son, he is 16 months old, so almost a year and a half. You talk in months until they're like two years, I guess. So he's 16 months old. He's this like young, wild, reckless dude. He is for sure my son. His name is Cal or Callum. Um, and we, he's just like, he's just changed our world. It's incredible to have a son. Um, and and, uh, and I, love, I love what it, it is to have a son because I get to like now raise my son up in the way of the Lord because that's what we believe. That's what we're going to do here. We're going to talk about Jesus and I was a youth pastor for seven years, so I'm passionate about youth ministry. I'm passionate about what we do right here. Uh, how many of you guys love your youth pastors? You guys better raise your hands. You better raise your hands. All right. All right. Hey, your, your youth pastors or your leaders that are in here, they are the real deal. I promise you, there has been blood. There has been sweat. There have been real tears when you hit them in the face with a basketball, right? They have literally poured out blood, sweat, tears. They have bought you way too many uh, chicken nuggets and chicken sandwiches from Chick-fil-A. They have cried when you guys beat them in video games, and they do all of that because they love you. So can we give a round of applause for our youth pastors and our leaders? Yes, they're incredible. They're incredible. And... They, uh, they, they take their time out of their lives to pour into you, not because it's their job, not because they're obligated to, but it's because they love you. It's because they believe in you. And I'm up here this weekend spending time with you guys because I also believe in you. I also love you. I also know that God wants to do something incredible. And I also like believe in you guys so much. I think sometimes people can look at middle schoolers and they could talk down to you. And they could, they could be like, oh man, you guys can't understand this or you guys can't raise up to the occasion. And, and that's just not true. That's just, that's lame. You guys are actually incredible. You guys are brilliant. You guys are profound. You guys change the world. And I believe that. Your youth pastors believe that. So I just want you to know, like, I'm committed to talking to you guys and to raising that bar and to believing in you. Does that sound good? Capiche? Capiche? Sound good, sound good. Okay, I'm from San Diego. 
Anybody from San Diego around here? Yeah, yeah. There we go. Where, where else are you guys from? I want to hear some of the cities you guys are from. Just yell it out. I'm not going to lie. That was a bad idea. San Juan? San Juan? Okay. All right. All right, all right, all right. Bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. I heard, ah! That's what I heard. So pretty much, pretty much sums it up. Okay, I know there's Costa Mesa. I know that there's San Juan. I know that there's Encinitas. Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm from. So uh, I am from Encinitas. We live right on the coast. Uh, I essentially just get to surf all the time. There is not a day that goes by that I don't look at the ocean. Um, our church is like right on the beach, so I go look at the ocean every single day. Life is really hard for me. It's just so, so tough. But there's this thing that we do, um, because I like to surf, there's this thing that we do when you're surfing and you see your friend catch like this most epic wave and he's like pumping down the line, he comes off, he shoots off the wave and when you look back and you give them this affirmation, you throw up a shaka and you go, shoo! So can you guys do that? Can you throw up a shaka and give me a shoo? All right. So here's what we're going to do. How many of you guys have your Bibles? Throw your Bibles up in the earth. All right. Incredible. Now... Take your Bibles, open them up. We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you do not know where that is, you can open up like to the middle. You'll find Psalms and just start going to the right. Well, actually, not to the right. It's to the left. Ecclesiastes, Psalm of Psalms, and Psalms and, or, Psalms and Proverbs. Okay, so you guys can also go to your table of contents. There's no shame here. You can't Bible shame people. Go to the table of contents, find Ecclesiastes, and when you find it, go to Ecclesiastes Chapter 1, verse 1, that's big, number 1, little number 1. And when you find it, throw a shotgun and say, shoo! All right. While you guys are still flipping there, um, like I said, like I said about my son, is my son, my son is an absolute menace. Absolute menace. He just fully sends everything. And when you have a kid, which you guys are very far away from having kids, um, when you have a kid, you and your wife, you have this conversation and you're like, who are they going to be like? Is this kid going to be like me or is this kid going to be like you? I sure as heck hope it's going to be like me, right? You, you're always just like, I really hope so. Here's the problem though. My wife was sweet. Like she was just this adorable, I look at pictures, I'm like, man, she like followed all the rules. She was sweet. She was cute. She was kind. She was like a little bit on the shyer side. And then there was me. And, and I was a problem. And I'll tell you some stories about how problematic I was. I was just a problem. I was the guy who I would jump off of everything. I would fully send anything. You say bet and I'm in. Like whatever it was, I was going to do it. Uh, my, my parents were very afraid for me. And so now I have my son, and you, you can only just imagine who he's like. He's like me, which I think is just like this really messed up way that God's like, you know, you made your parents go through this, now you have to go through it. And so he is an absolute menace, and I have to figure out how to raise this wild little man. But here, here's one story just from my hoodlum days um, back in the day. There's this one story I just want to start off with. I used to ride BMX bikes with my friends. Um, anybody ride, ride bikes? Yeah, okay. 
Nothing too, nothing too crazy. I wasn't vert. I was all in the back. Like we would always do dirt, dirt jumps. We had this spot. There's this park I used to always go to. There's a spot in the back of the park called POD, Pile of Dirt. And so we would go to POD all the time. We'd go hit up 7-Eleven. We'd get our Slurpees and our Snickers, and we would just sit there and hang out at POD for hours. Well, one time I was with my friend Austin, and Austin and I, we were both riding our bikes. We were closer to his house, and we were like, dude, let's just like go find some trails. And so we're crushing around all of these trails, and we, we kind of go off in this little beaten path, and we find this one hill. And we're like, this hill is epic. It's huge. It was so tall, you couldn't even see the bottom. There's trees overgrowing the hill. And we were like, we didn't even look. We didn't even say anything. We just looked at each other, and we just knew. We had like this menacing like, look in our face. We were about to do some damage. And now here's one thing you need to know about me. I was, uh, I was crazy, but I was tiny. Like, I was like four foot nine for years. Like, I didn't hit puberty until like yesterday. Like, I was, I was a small, small kid. Austin was a little bit taller than me. And so that kind of leads into the story a little bit. Austin and I, we look at each other, we're like, let's do this. And so we just start sending down this hill as fast as we can. You know, you guys ever been in a Tesla and, and you're like, didn't expect it to be as fast as it is. And someone like steps on the, it's not the gas, I guess, step on the electric. Um, they stepped on the electric and like just you lose your stomach because it's like zero to 60 that fast. It felt like that. Like we're just losing our stomach going down this hill. We were going like 30 miles an hour. We were crushing down this hill and it is just so fun. We're having a good time. Austin's bigger than me, so he's a little bit heavier than me, which means he's a little bit faster than me. There's physics for you. So he's a little bit faster than me. He's going right ahead of me and we're just, we're so pumped until next thing I know, Austin's bike keeps going, but his body goes backwards, and as soon as I turn to look at him, I can't even hit the brake. Something hits me in the face, and I go flying backwards. Now, pause real quick. Um, this is how cool I was. I had a brand new phone. We didn't have iPhones yet. It was, it was called a Razor. You guys remember the Razor? It was a flip phone. My Razor was pink. It was a pink Razor. I traded the back with a friend, so it was pink and black, because I thought that was really cool. So I had a pink and black flip phone. I was fresh, like four foot nine fresh braces. And I'm just like, and I'm on a brand new bike. And I'm like, this is, this is like the best day of my life. I had just had my birthday. I just got my phone. And I was so pumped. We're cruising down this hill. And next thing you know, I'm on the ground, bouncing around, sliding 10 feet through the dirt. And I have no idea what just hit me. And can I, can I be really honest with you? After I hit the ground, bounced around, slid across the dirt, I'm spitting out blood. My first thought was, I hope my phone's okay. I hope my bike's okay. And then I was like, oh, I hope my friend's okay. So I look up and my friend Austin is just gasping for air. He's just trying to breathe. And so after a moment of just spitting out blood, looking at my friend, he's gasping for air. I looked up at what, what, what hit us, and there was a metal wire across this trail. And it just knocked us out. And you know in those moments when you think you're going to die, because we, we were both like, we're going to die, you get really sentimental. And so I'm like looking at my friend, I'm like, Austin, I love you, man. I love you. <laughs> spitting out blood. You're my best friend, man. You and me for life, dog. And we were just like, having this really sweet, sentimental moment. We didn't die, clearly. I'm here. Thank, thank, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. We laid there for 10 minutes until his mom found us, and then uh, 
And then I went home and I cried, and, uh, and here we are. He got hit in the neck. I got hit in the mouth. He's a little bit taller than me. But there's something about that moment, right, when you actually find yourself in a space where you're like, I, I think I was going to die, where all of a sudden these things that you worried about, right, I, th- I was worried about my pink razor. I was worried about my, my, my bike. But then all of a sudden that all fades away. When you get into this place, when you start thinking about, like, is this, am I about to die? Is this life? And you hit something that's just so traumatic or so big or so scary. All of a sudden it puts things into perspective. And I realized in that moment this relationship was more important to me. I realized after that moment I was like, my life has to be something more. And it was this weird moment where I, I, I felt like I almost had this near, near-death experience that brought me to a place of realizing what really mattered in life. And i got to be really honest with you. We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm not going to lie to you. The book of Ecclesiastes is a metal wire across your trail. Because you're going to be kind of going on, and Ecclesiastes is going to take us out. It's going to hit us across the face. We're going to get jumbled and thrown around. And then hopefully what's going to happen, what I believe is going to happen, is as this metal wire takes us out, knocks us off our feet, I think we're going to realize what's actually most important. That is the goal of Ecclesiastes. You guys ready? All right, let's go. Let's go. Okay, Ecclesiastes, big number one, little number one. It says this. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What a great start. Say meaningless, pointless, empty. Everything is empty. What does man gain by all of his work and his toil that he does under the sun? You guys like playing Super Smash Bros? Oh, yes. So um, there's inevitably a moment when you're playing Super Smash Bros. and you're with all of the homies. Like the entire squad comes out. You busted out all of the controllers just to play Super Smash Bros. And so you've got like three different Kirbys. You've got Bowser and Yoshi and Captain Falcon. You've got Ness. Like I'm saying like the entire squad. All of your friends from school, they all showed up. You have all the controllers. And inevitably, you don't know who you are anymore. You just kind of forgot. Like, am I Blue Kirby? Am I Ness? I was Captain Falcon, like, last time. I don't even remember who I am. And so you're not even playing. You're just button smashing. Anybody else? You're just smashing buttons, and you're hoping something happens. And you're having a good time. You don't know what's happening, but you're having a good time. And so then what inevitably happens is Blue Kirby goes flying off into the distance like a strong falcon punch. And you're like, ha ha, loser. Oh, I'm Blue Kirby. And you realize that button smashing wasn't working and you're now dead. And you have to sit there for the next 30 minutes while the people who know what they're doing are actually playing the game. You know what I'm talking about? It's the worst. That is kind of what it's like when we approach the Bible and we don't know the characters. When we show up to the Bible and we don't know the background, we don't know the characters, we don't know what's going on, we're just button smashing and hoping something happens. So let me tell you a little bit about the characters of this book. You have Solomon. Solomon was the one who wrote this book. I'm going to tell you a lot about him throughout this week, weekend. He was the one who wrote this book. Um, and here's what he's going to do. He's going to write 12 chapters. 12, we're not going to go through all 12 chapters, but he's going to write 12 chapters essentially telling us where meaning and purpose are not found. He is the metal wire that is across the road. He is the one who's going to say, he's asking actually all the questions that we ask, right? You know, where, what's the point of life? 
Does this all matter? What's my purpose? What are we supposed to do with our lives? Is life important or am I important? He's going to ask all of those big questions. He's going to knock us off of our feet. So here's what we know about Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 3, another part of the Bible, God approaches Solomon. They have this conversation. He says, Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon, rather than saying, I want all the ladies, Rather than saying, like, he's like a magic genie, he's like, rather than saying, I want all of the money, rather than saying, I want all of the fame, he says, Lord, I want wisdom. I want wisdom to be able to rule your people. See, he was a king. He was a king over all of Jerusalem. Don't we want God to ask us that question? What do you want? As if he's like a genie that comes out of the bottle. What do you want? And how would you answer that? Would we have answered it like Solomon? I would hope so, but if I'm honest... Not always. So Solomon says, I, I want to have wisdom to rule all your people. And God's like, that's a great answer. And because that answer is so good, I'm going to open the spigot of all of the other blessings in life. And so God was like, here, have all of the money. Your kingdom's going to be massive. You are wise. All of those things. And Solomon kind of abused it a little bit. He had 700 wives. I have one. He had 700 wives. That's, like, that's a no-go. You're not supposed to do that. He's not like an example in that area. He had 300 concubines. And you're like, what the heck is a concubine? Ask your parents. No, a concubine is like a wife, but you don't have to buy a Valentine's Day gift for them. That's like kind of what a concubine is, right? He's a good-looking dude. Like, like anyone who's good, look at like Ryan Gosling or Harry Styles or Noah Beck, right? Or who else is good-looking? Okay, sure. Whoever you just said, hey, thank you. All right, whoever you just said, he's better looking, better looking. He is well-dressed, and I'll prove the point. He's like Zendaya on the red carpet, but like a dude, right? He is, he is well-dressed. See, in Matthew 6, so in uh, Jesus, we're going to talk about him in a while. Jesus in Matthew 6 he says, look at all these wildflowers. They're not even as well-dressed as Solomon was. If Jesus is talking about your drip thousands of years later, you are well-dressed. So this guy, he had steez. Like, he had style, everything. Money? Money, man. He had more than Elon Musk, who is slated in this next year to become one of the first uh, modern-day trillionaires in our history. He's richer than Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates combined. They don't even match his $2.2 trillion net worth. And I'm saying all these things, and you're like, sure, it's in the Bible. I don't know if I believe it. You should believe it. But if you don't believe it, let me just back it up a little bit. You can Google not right now because we're up here at camp, but you can look at secular websites that the world puts out there. You would say, who was the richest person to ever live? And they would say, King Solomon. Fact. Cold, hard, stone, cold, fact. Thousand years B.C., so a thousand years before Jesus, he wrote this book. And his book is his search for meaning. And he says something really interesting. He says, under the sun, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Now, a wise person learns from their own mistakes. So if you're, if you're wise and you touch a fire and it burns you, you're not going to touch the fire again. I'm trying to teach my kid that one. But a wiser person actually learns from the mistakes of other people. And what Solomon is doing is he's telling us, here are my mistakes. Here's the life that I lived. Here's the experiment. Do not 
do what I did. It would be insane of us to repeat the experiment that Solomon goes on. And so let me just tell you another story. At this very same park where Pile of Dirt was, um, I was there and I'm the youngest of four boys, so I have three older brothers, which means I just did whatever I could to get their affirmation. And so one time, <coughs> one time we're at the park, my brothers and their friends, they're all standing around these bushes. And they're like scratching their legs and like they're clearly in pain. And they're like, hey, yo, Stevie. And I'm like, yo, what's up? You know, with my cracked voice. Trying to be, my, my, trying to use my big boy voice. How's it going? You know, trying to be cool. And they're like, hey, hey, hey. We all tried to make it through these bushes, but we couldn't make it through. Clearly, again, scratching their legs in a lot of pain. And they're like, you want to try? First of all, that's why would I say yes to this? It's clearly a trap. I'm not smart. And so I said, oh, yeah, you know, because I want to fit in. I was like, I got this. And they're like, bet. And I was like, bet. And so I was like, it's just the bushes. They're just little bushes. I mean, they're like this high, just little bushes. I can run right through it. I'm going to show them that I'm better than them. That will be really cool. And so with all the courage that I had, I gave out like this early pubescent war cry like, ah! And I ran as fast as I could to make it through these bushes. And I got about three feet in, and all of a sudden my war cry turned into a cry cry. And my legs just got caught on fire. They're just burning shots of pain going all up my legs and all in my arms. And these were bushes from hell. They were, and when I say that, I actually mean that. It was a mix of thorn bushes, throw in some poison nettles, if you guys have ever been stung by those. And then some cactus was in there too, because again, hell gave us bushes. And I would, it's just when it rains, it pours, right? And so I ran out, and I'm bleeding, and my legs are on fire, and they're red. And here's the thing is, it was a failed experiment by my brothers, and they said, you should do it. Now, unlike my brothers who are mean, Solomon's trying to tell us, don't do it. Don't run through those bushes. I've done it. It doesn't pan out well. Don't go that way. Don't search for meaning there. Don't do those things. I've already done it, and it's not worth it. This is what Solomon is getting at. Through the book of Ecclesiastes, verse 3. What does man gain by all his toil at which he toils under the sun? When he says gain, it literally, it's like, what does he profit? What does he take away with him? When he dies, when he spends his 76 years of life on earth, what does he get to take away with him? What does he show for it? What does he get to gain? And he says, you, there's, what is there to gain at which he toils under the son. Now, character number two, we just hit on Solomon. We're now introduced to the second character. Now, the second character that we're introduced to is actually kind of like an anti-introduction. Because what Solomon is actually trying to tell us about um, this character is that he's not there. He's trying to highlight who isn't in the equation. See, when he says the phrase, under the sun, which he's going to use all throughout the book, what he's trying to say is living life as if God is irrelevant. Living life as if eternity is not real. And so he's trying to introduce us or anti-introduce us to God. He's saying, I'm going to do this entire experiment. I'm going to live my life under the sun. Essentially, I'm going to run this experiment. I'm going to search for meaning. I'm going to search for life. I'm going to run through all of the bushes. And I'm going to do it underneath the premise as an atheist would, as if there is no God. 
And as if there is no afterlife, as if eternity is not real. That's what he means by under the sun. So when we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we're reading it from the lens of someone who's trying to live life without God. And that's why we can read this and say, man, Solomon is a sad boy in this book. So it's 12 chapters of him saying, look, I've lived that life. I've tried everything that the world has to offer. And if God is irrelevant, if eternity isn't real, I'm going to tell you all the bushes that I've run through. I'm going to tell you all the things that I did. I'm going to tell you everything that I've done. And if God isn't real, if we can't take anything with us, this is what his answer is. It's meaningless. You don't take anything. It's pointless. What is there to gain? Now, spoiler alert, with God, there's incredible meaning, but that's not where we're getting at yet. Verse 4. Verse 4, he says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around the wind goes and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. And he's taking us through what we learned in second grade, which is the water cycle. He essentially just says stream, <coughs> streams run into the ocean. The sun evaporates the water from the sea into the clouds. The clouds move to the mountains. Rain comes down. Streams go back to the ocean. It evaporates in the sky. goes back to the mountains. And the streams run down again. The earth turns about 1,000 miles per hour as it orbits the sun. And as the sun goes up, the sun comes down. The sun goes up, the sun comes down. And as it turns, the wind blows. And the wind blows from the south to the north. And then back again and over and over and over again. And he's trying to tell us we are in a rut of relentless repetition. Everything is just on a cycle, and that is just the earth cycle. What about your life? Here's what it looks like for you, and here's what it looked like for me. Kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, first period, second period, third period, fourth period, fifth period, sixth period, seventh period. Eighth period, ninth grade, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer. The sun goes up, the sun goes down, the sun comes up, the sun goes down. Repetition, and this is where we're stuck all the way through. And then you get to college because you're like, oh, finally I'll make it. When I get to go to college, I get to go to the place where I want to go to. And that's when the real rat race starts because the sun goes up and the sun goes down and you wake up, you go to bed, you wake up, you go to bed, you live for the weekend, the weekend happens, but guess what? The week starts again and then you have kids and then all of a sudden you become an Uber driver for kids and then you have to pack their lunches and the sun goes up and the sun goes down and you go to work and then you come back and you drive your kids again as another Uber driver, you have to make meals, the sun goes down, you go back to bed, you wake up, you make cereal, you do it all again and then you die. And all you have to show for it is a rock with your name on it that no one's going to go visit except for the gardener who just mows on over you. A little depressing, huh? Thanks, Solomon. Really appreciate it. I wanted to come to camp and have some fun. We're going to get there. But some of you guys have realized 
how life is just this repetition, how life is just this thing that just keeps going. And you've, you've been wondering, man, is there, is there a point? What am I supposed to do with the fact that I just keep doing the same thing over and over again? I'm living for summer, but then summer goes away. I'm living for my friends, but then sometimes your friends stab you in the back. I'm living for the party, but the party never satisfies. I'm living for this and that, and we can go through this cycle. See, many of you have realized that the cycle is on repeat, and so you've tried to make it exciting. And so you've done devious deeds with your friends, and you've, do, you've gone to stuff like alcohol, you've gone to stuff like drugs, or you've gone to stuff that you watch in your room late at night, except for the problem is, is when you're going to those things to hide away from the cycle, guess what doesn't stop? The cycle. This is what Solomon is annoyingly telling us. This is his experiment. It just keeps going. And you're not going to find meaning there. You're not going to run through those bushes and find meaning. And we wonder why. Why can we not find joy? Why can we not find happiness? Why can we not find meaning? And we wonder why we are so racked with anxiety all of the time. And we wonder why we're so, like, we lift so high when someone gives us praise, but we crash so low when someone doesn't accept us. We wonder why we are constantly on this treadmill. So Solomon continues. Verse 8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the, he- nor the ear filled with hearing. Verse 9, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. That sounds like a good Drake lyric. You know, that was like some good poetry, really depressing Drake rap. But this sounds like a good rap, you know. He's like, what will be, what will be done, but there's nothing new under the sun. And then verse 10, he says, is there a thing of which it can be said, see, this is new? And you're like, yeah, the iPhone 15. Let me tell you what, they just moved the camera. It's the same thing. There's nothing new. He says, it has already been in the ages before us. There is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And you're like, well, what about style, right? Is style new? No. Especially what's core for you guys is just finding smelly, oversized, very, very used clothing from the bin at Goodwill. And you put that on and say, this is cool. See, there's nothing new under the sun. We just take old things and we just make it repeat. In verse 11, he says, there's no remembrance of former things. Nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after He's saying no one's going to remember. And you might be in here like I probably would have been when I was sitting in your seat. And you're like, no, 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 they're going to remember me. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be a pro athlete. I'm, I, like next year I'm going to make a million dollars just by using AI. Like I'm going to be famous. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys, by raise of hand, how many of you guys know your grandparents' name? All right, great. I, I'm glad. How many of you guys know your grandparents' grandparents' name? Okay. Is it like Francis or Phyllis or something like that? Here's the thing. Your kids, if you have kids, right, your kids, they may know your name. They may know their kid's kid's name. But you keep going and they're probably not going to remember you. And you might be like, I'm going to have a building with my name on it, a high rise. It's going to have my name right there, Stevie. That building will topple. 
Nothing will be remembered in the grand scheme of things. What is he saying? He's saying all these things that you're living for, right? The fame, the money, the popularity. For what? Can I be really honest? I don't even remember the name of the girl I went to homecoming with. I know, it's messed up. But we just keep moving forward and we forget all of those things, the stuff that occupies our time, the stuff that keeps us up late at night, the things that we have conversations that that take all of our energy when we're in middle school. Solomon is saying that's not going to be it. I've run through that bush and all that's left is pain. It is not there. And so if Solomon didn't take you out by the wire yet, right, if you haven't just been knocked off of your bike yet, he continues, verse 12. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Now, I'm going to define vanity a little bit more tomorrow, but here's what he's saying. Everything is meaningless. Under the sun, if God is not a part of the equation, if eternity is not real, if we're only living for today and tomorrow until we die, and that's it, if that is all there is, it is pointless. We need to get Solomon like an energy drink because he is just depressing us. In verse 15, he says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were in Jerusalem before me. And my heart has, been, has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Notice what Solomon kept repeating. What, what, what was the word that you noticed in that verse he kept repeating? You guys can look at it. What was the word that, that he kept repeating? He says it about like five times. I heard it. Wisdom. 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 He says, I acquired wisdom. I experienced great wisdom. I sought to know wisdom. And he's, this is like wisdom in air quotes, right? Because this is wisdom under the sun. Wisdom under the sun. This entire book, the whole book of Ecclesiastes is talking about wisdom. What is wisdom? Is wisdom a great old man with a gray beard and a wizard cap smoking like a long pipe and his name's Gandalf or Dumbledore, right? Is that what wisdom is? Is that what it means to be wise? See, remember, Solomon is writing 12 chapters as if there is no God or eternity. He is running this experiment with his life. And so he's actually trying to show us two different kinds of wisdom. Two different kinds of wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding or your own wisdom. In all your ways, acknowledge God, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So Solomon says, wisdom one, wisdom type one, wise in your own eyes. This is what wisdom in our own eyes, wisdom under the sun, this is what it says. Right now, 
is all you got. This is your only life. This is your only moments. So live it up. Do whatever feels good. If it feels good, it is good. Life is all about you, right? So either be better than everybody else or stronger than everybody else or smarter and richer and more popular than everyone else or please everybody so that they all like you and that way you don't have to deal with any negative emotions, right? Or just be against everybody and just be like anti-everybody. Do whatever you need to do because the world is about you. Either way, the world is about you. How heavy is that for you to carry the world on your shoulders? How incredibly heavy is it for you to have to make your own identity, for you to have to figure out who you are to be a self-made person? How incredibly heavy is it for you to work so hard to be accepted? Do you feel the weight? When you have to carry the constant worry about if someone likes me or doesn't like me, how incredibly heavy is it when you have to be the best or you have to be the funniest or you have to be the smartest? Isn't it exhausting? How incredibly heavy is it when you search tirelessly to figure out what your purpose is in life and we wonder why we're so exhausted because the wisdom of the world, the wisdom that you and I live in, like under the sun, the, 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 the wisdom that everybody else lives by is the world is all about you. Live it up. And it's exhausting. If I need to make a name for myself, if I have to figure out my own identity, who I am, how I'm going to be great, you know what that means about you? You're in my way. Because if I need to be great, then you need to be not great. So either I'm against you and we're enemies, or you're just a pawn to be used so that I can actually use you to make myself great. Do you see how living selfishly, living for ourselves, living in this way where it's just, it's all about us, what feels good is good for us. When we live that way, it breaks relationships, it breaks our joy, it doesn't bring life. Those are the bushes that are thorny, and he says, don't run through those, I just ran through those, and they kill you. That's the wisdom of the world. And Solomon is saying, it breaks me. And can I just say, not Solomon, can I just say, I've lived that way and it breaks me too. It exhausted me. It broke me. So what is wisdom type two? What is the wisdom that we should be leaning into? Psalm 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. And you're like, wait, what? Fear? Fear God? I thought Jesus was my homeboy. Fear him? I thought we were best friends. Like, I thought, you know, like, he was like, that. he was my homeboy. <clears throat> fear him. <clears throat> what does it mean to fear God? And how does that lead to wisdom? Does it mean to be scared of him in the same way I'm scared of great white sharks and, and clowns? Anyone else afraid of clowns? What's up with clowns? Take the mask off, right? So is that, is that what it means to fear the Lord? The best way, the best way, and I'm landing with, with this, the best way I can think of describing what it means to fear God is actually with the ocean. And every, every example of, of how you try to describe God is always going to fall short. But, but three weeks ago in San Diego, uh, there was a massive swell that came through. 
huge waves. You guys might have seen it on the news. I mean, it was causing flooding and everything. <clears throat> well, all of my friends are surfers, like hardcore surfers. I like waves like this big, and they like waves that will kill them. And so uh, they, they were so excited to go out surfing, and I was excited to not die and just to watch them. And yet, I went out surfing with them because they said, come on, Stevie, send it. And I still have that little thing inside of me. I'm like, okay, bet. Let's go. And so, uh, so I went out with them. The waves are about like 8 to 10 feet, which is just crazy. And, and so I'm paddling out, and I, and I kid you not, and I'm just going to, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I, I peed in my wetsuit. I was so scared. I was just paddling, and I was fearing for my life as I'm watching these waves just thunderously crash in front of me. And all my friends are way better, so they're already way out past, like, where the set's coming in. I'm still stuck in all the white water, and I'm paddling. And after almost drowning, in my opinion, three times, I just decided to sit on my board and just keep getting pounded by the waves. And I was like, I just can't keep going. And my friend looks over, and he's like, hey, yo, bro, keep coming. I'm like, I can't. And he's like, no, you can. And so peer pressure is still very alive and well as you get older. And so I was like, okay, I'll keep trying. And so I'm paddling as hard as I can. And I got to the outside, and then there's this thing that happens is there's another wave that's even bigger and further away. And so I'm sitting on the outside. I'm exhausted. And this wave that was like a 10-foot size wave starts coming right at us. And we're in the zone where if you don't move, you're going to die. And so what I did is I paddled towards the wave, which you're supposed to do as fast as you can. And like I, I, right as the wave is about to crash, I barely, I ditched my board and just kept swimming. Like I swam through the wave. And then I was sitting out there and I was like, I don't know how to get in. So I sat out there for 30 minutes, and then eventually I, like, paddled in. I got pummeled all the way, and I just sat on the shore, and I just, like, watched my friend surf after I had almost died. And I realized I am afraid of the ocean. I love the ocean. I love surfing in the ocean. I love swimming in the ocean. I'm, I'm intrigued by the ocean, but I, am, I have a healthy fear of the ocean. The ocean is no joke. The ocean is huge. It is vast. It is powerful, especially when you see these huge waves coming and crashing, crashing so hard you can feel it even if you're sitting on shore. It's mysterious. Like, what is in there? Do you know we know less about what's going on in the depths of the ocean than we do than what's in space? We know more about space than we knew about the depths of the ocean. And yet, catch this, people spend ridiculous amounts of money to go on vacation by the ocean. We stop. If you see the ocean, you stop and you stare at the ocean. We enjoy the ocean. We enjoy the beauty of the ocean. We play in the ocean. We are drawn to the ocean. And the fear of the Lord is something kind of like the ocean. It's this recognition of how big and how powerful and how awesome and how mysterious and how beautiful it is. And it doesn't push us away. It actually draws us near. See, the fear of the Lord does not push us away. It draws us in. It captures our imagination. It calms us to be around. We want to be around him. And God is like that, but even more. God is big. God is awesome. He is powerful. He is beautiful. He is mysterious. He is stronger. He is smarter. He is greater. He is the creator of all things. He knows all things, everything about everything, even you. He's all powerful. He can do anything he wants. He is greater than you could ever think or imagine, and yet he's good. And he loves you. 
So wisdom type one says you find meaning on your own. There's no God, there's no ruler, there's nothing powerful, more powerful than you. You be the most powerful, and it is exhausting. In wisdom two, the fear of the Lord is to say, you're incredible. You're powerful. You're majestic. You're holy. You're awesome. And you love me. And you know what? When you receive your identity from a place where you know that the most incredible, powerful being in the universe loves you, you can jump off of the treadmill. You don't have to do the experiment. You don't have to run through those bushes because you don't have to find meaning through the bushes. Your meaning comes from the God who is so powerful, so awesome, the one that we have a healthy fear of, that he looks at you and says, I love you. Let's pray. So God, I pray, my, my one prayer for this entire message was just that you would be big in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. God, I want to confess that oftentimes I don't realize how big you are. I live my life as if you are irrelevant sometimes. I live my life like you're not the creator, like you're not the one who knows us, like you're not the one who is all-powerful and can do whatever you want to do. I live my life as if I'm my own ruler. And Lord, I pray that you would be big, that you would capture our hearts and our minds, that you would draw us to realize how beautiful that you are, God, and that would be what would lead and guide our lives. And so, Lord, I pray um, something that only you can do, that you would make yourself known to us. Lord, I'm excited for these next couple days. Would you continue to go before us? Would you continue to shape us and lead us? We are here for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone says? Amen. Amen.